Welcome to the Workbrand Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and theworkbrand.com. Hi there, what's up, and welcome to episode 4 of This is the Cast, the WorkPrint's Mandalorian Season 2 podcast. I'm your host, Christian, and with me today are three amazing authors guesting on today's podcast. Would you all like to uh, introduce yourselves, maybe share what you do? Uh, sure, I'll go first. Uh, this is Victor Catano. I am an author of the Gabriel and Orson Urban Fantasy series and a lifelong Star Wars fan. Okay, uh, I'm Carissa Slust. Oh, I guess... My author name is Carissa Laurel, which is how you'll find me on social media. And I'm also an author. I primarily write science fiction, fantasy, um, you know, for young adults and adults. And I co-assistant edit for Cast of Wonders, which is a short speculative fiction podcast that's geared towards uh, young adults. And we produce audio stories Mostly on a weekly basis, uh, we're kind of on a little bit of a hiatus right now, but we're getting ready to gear up again. Nice. So, um, and like Victor said, a lifelong Star Wars fan. <laughs> Aren't we all? My turn. I'm Mary Fan. I, too, am an author of sci-fi and fantasy, mostly for young adults. Uh, my books include the Star Swept trilogy, which I recently concluded. It's a sci-fi about... A viola player in the future who meets an alien boy and goes on an adventure across the stars. And another one of my books is Stronger Than a Bronze Dragon, which is a steampunk fantasy set in a sort of fantasy version of Qing Dynasty China about a warrior girl who teams up with a thief to defeat the Demon King. And I'm also the co-editor of the Brave New Girls anthologies about girls in STEM. And... I guess at this point, I would consider myself a lifelong Star Wars fan, but I discovered it when I was 12, so I actually have memories of not knowing what Star Wars was, so I guess in that way, I'm a little different from a lot of other Star Wars fans. <laughs> all right, well, thank you all for being here, and uh, um, yeah, so for this podcast, we kind of just talk about Star Wars. I, I set up some questions, which we'll, we'll address, uh, I guess, uh, five of them, if anyone feels like chiming in. But for now, um, what were your thoughts and opinions uh, about episode four of season two? Oh, I really enjoyed it. I like that they're getting more into the um, actual meat of what I hope is the plot this season coming forward. Uh, my main complaint this year so far has been that it feels like it's taking a while to get where they want to go. Like, episode two I enjoyed a lot, but it's kind of episode you'd have in a 16-episode series. You can have one of just fighting from ice spiders and stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas in an eight-episode season, you want to kind of it needs to kind of progress a little quicker. Yeah, and I, I know Mary had that complaint last year. I didn't mind it so much last season, but this season I'm feeling like now we're getting into the meat of things now. So now we're getting more into what I think was going to happen with like um, Jedi Force clones, apparently, which sounds kind of fun. So, ooh, so that was going to be a later question. But um, what do you guys think is going on with the uh, the Imperial base in Navarro and and these the the the, the research that it seems like they're doing? I feel like the fans kind of called it in season one, episode one, like basically the moment they found like what looked like baby Yoda in an Imperial factory. Everyone's like, oh, my God, they're harvesting his blood for midi chlorians to create like clone troopers with force powers. And now it kind of looks like our theory has been confirmed. Of course, that also confirms the existence of midi chlorians, which we all just have to live with. 
What do they call it in this episode? Like M M levels? His M levels are so high, we can't find another one with M levels this high. And it's like, yeah, we're just trying real hard to save midichlorians again, aren't we, John Favreau? Yeah, really hard. <laughs> now, I don't have as much experience with canon outside of the movies as, um, as I know Victor reads a lot of the books. And I think, you know, Mary is a little more well-rounded in the fandom. But, like, I don't... Is there... Is there canon of having clone troopers with force powers? Does that show up anywhere else? Because in my knowledge, I don't really see that. I don't think there is. I mean, I haven't watched all the cartoons, so I don't want to have someone say, well, in this episode of Rebels, they showed this. But no, I don't think there has been, honestly. I mean, some of the books they get into, like, there's these little force lizards called Isalamir, which make force anti-force bubbles, which are important for cloning, otherwise the clones go mad. Yeah, that's Mary talked like about this today. That's funny that you bring that up. But. <laughs> but I don't think they've ever had, like, we're going to try and inject people with midichlorian and see what happens kind of thing. At least not that I'm aware of. You know, that said, there are technical clones with Force powers, um, both in the books that are now Legends, and I think even in the films, because Snoke, it turned out, was a clone, right? Wasn't he a clone of Palpatine? Clone of Palpatine, but... So maybe they're alluding to that with this episode? Yeah. Because, like, Leota and Palpatine have always been on similar levels of, you know, light side, dark side force. Ability, yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense. If you try and clone Palpatine, you get, you know, some force into force powers in there. But, yeah, I don't know that whatever stock they're cloning from originally in the ad, it sounds like they aren't cloning. They're, like, taking volunteer troopers and injecting them with Yoda blood and seeing what happens kind of thing. Hmm. And what happens is they die horribly, apparently, because it doesn't react well, and they have to put them in van- uh, back to tubes or something. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's it's an interesting plot line. I'm curious to see where it goes, and uh, particularly the Moff Gideon stuff, because they've, they've hyped him up so much to be the villain in the series, uh, yeah. particularly towards the back end of season one. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts on the um the infiltra- in the infiltration mission in particular of the research lab, and uh, kind of the illusions they had to Star Wars the original? Because did you guys notice that too between the, like the long metal corridors? Oh yeah, and the, the um the heating shaft is completely the uh, tractor beam. Right. I really like, enjoy the reference um to like they don't have um guardrails, do they? Because we all know <laughs> guardrails in the Star Wars universe are for losers. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> the Empire doesn't have an OSHA service, apparently. So <laughs> <I know. laughs> That's funny. Hmm. Yeah, it does share a lot of visual language with, I think, A New Hope specific, uh, specifically. The, uh, the, the, um, the turret scene, right? Yeah, and also in the chase itself, like just the way they showed um, the vehicles moving. like It just felt a lot like um, kind of the trench run and the escape from the Death Star, even though it was on a planet instead of in space. There's just something about that sort of diesel punk aesthetic that felt very A New Hope. And I did like, I don't know if this is an actual sound effect from the first A New Hope, but when they're running through the corridors and you hear the troopers say, there they are, blast them. I can swear that was just like copied right from A New Hope. Totally. I actually thought you were going to reference the scream, the the, the, uh, classic Imperial trooper, like getting shot, scream of pain. (laughs) I know that sound. I know what you're Yeah, this one, um, I felt so far all of the Mandalorian season is trying to harken back and stay really true to the world building of the original trilogy, Um, which being, you know, the fan of the original trilogy, probably the most, um, you know, that just makes me so happy because I love 
getting more out of that world. Everything else that has come out of Star Wars has been, you know, either prequel or many years later. And it's the same aesthetic, but it's, they were all different enough to be almost their own separate little worlds or whatever. And Mandalorian does so far feel very much a part of the original trilogy. And I mean, granted, it takes place pretty quickly after the end of the um, Return of the Jedi, but I'm, I'm just, mm-hmm. I just like that they, you know, pay homage and, and can keep true to the world that was built. In the oh, end. absolutely, yeah. I feel like in a lot of ways, this is the um, sequel slash spinoff that Star Wars fans have been dreaming about since the Return of the Jedi aired back in the 80s. You know, first they were hoping to get more Star Wars out of the prequels, which were a completely different aesthetic. And then same goes for the sequel trilogy, which were closer, but ultimately went in a very different direction. And then, of course, the two sort of middle films, which were also, I mean, there were definitely homages, but this one feels the most rooted in um, the original trilogy. And in that way, it does feel like it's the sequel we've all been waiting for. (laughs) Totally agree with that. Oh, okay. Uh, so I guess I'll keep going with questions since uh, I think we've all kind of t- uh, jumped in left and right. Uh, all right. So what were you guys' thoughts about this Carl Weathers directed episode and the reintroduction of the OG crew from last year, particularly Cara Dune and uh, I keep forgetting his name. <laughs> I keep calling him Carl Weathers. Uh, uh, Grief Carga. Grief Carga. Thank you. I didn't know he was going to direct the episode. I did not hear that, or I heard it, I forgot about it from the previews and stuff. So I was surprised. It's Carl Weathers directed, and it was a really good episode. The action was really good in it. So yeah, kudos to him. He did a great job. Awesome. I just keep thinking about how technically difficult this episode must have been to direct, because those action scenes and chase scenes and effects were amazing. And it was, I feel like, a 90% effects episode, too. So I'm like... Man, that guy must be really good at logistics. Yeah, I mean, they throw him in the deep end, because like, I know Bryce Dallas Howard's first episode was yeah. the one with the um, Scout Walker, which is completely effects and big, giant, practical things and huge land battle, and that was like her first episode, too. So that seems to be, John Favreau really trusts you to do a good job, or, you know, they have enough backup that they can just, you know, yeah. fix it in the, um, whatever, the, the forward... Yeah, she also did last week. She also did last week's episode as well. Like, she's very impressive in action sequences. I did not expect this from uh, Bryce Dallas Howard to be this good of an action director. Yeah, I didn't know she was directing it either. And the credits came up with her name. (laughs) This is the credits came up with her name, and I was like, "What role did she play?" And I went and googled (laughs) it, and I was like, "Oh, she directed it." Okay, I was like, "Yeah, that was great." Yeah, so, um, yeah, I love seeing the crew back. I love seeing the town again. Um, and the fact they made the Bounty Hunter hangout bar is now uh, C-3PO school is kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. Well, not C-3PO, but, you know, etiquette dro- or protocol droid teaching the class of unruly uh, kids of on unruly the planet. Kids. <laughs> so speaking of unruly kids, uh, Baby Yoda, while adorable, <laughs> has fans very divided this season, oh. proving himself to be a kind of a hungry little brat. Particularly this episode. I'm it's so funny. over him. Uh, thoughts about him uh, this so far this season, and then stealing the child's eggs. Uh, or, I'm sorry, stealing the child's snack and then eating the eggs earlier. Yeah. Uh, overall thoughts of Yoda, baby. Well, it, it's funny, because I texted my mom just before I was going on this, because saying I'm doing a Star Wars podcast, and she said, I really like baby Yoda this season, because he acts just like a toddler child, because they can't get anything out of their mouth for more than three seconds. They're trying to put everything <laughs> in their mouth. So, to me, it seems like very much like something baby Yoda would do. And I feel the same way. It's like, I'm 
completely I mean, not, not fine with it eating the glass eggs of the frog species, but you know <laughs> something that Yoda, a child, would absolutely do that. <laughs> so I don't think that's out of character so much. Um, but yeah, I understand people will be like freaking out, like don't eat those eggs, don't eat the eggs, no. <laughs> and yeah, my wife's saying she like he liked frogs last year. Why is he eating frog eggs? Because you know we sh- we showed him eating frog. I have an action figure of him eating a frog right on my desk right now. So <laughs> yeah, as soon as those eggs showed up. My son was watching it with me, and he said, you know, my son's 18, and he's a humongous Star Wars fan, too. And as soon as those eggs showed up, he said, oh, no, don't don't let him alone with those eggs. He loves frogs. And, <laughs> and so he knew. He knew what was going to happen, so he wasn't. It's Chekhov's eggs, <laughs> right? We kept his yeah. eggs in Act 1. Act exactly, Chekhov's eggs. <laughs> That's hilarious. But, yeah. And I, I mean, I agree. I mean, on the one hand, like Dustin, my son kept asking, he was like, doesn't the mom notice some are missing? I was like, maybe she just <laughs> has so many that she hopes like one makes it to the end and she'll feel lucky because who wants to raid a whole brood of <laughs> children? So maybe, you know, there's just bunches as backup. So hopefully, <laughs> one, so maybe she's not too mad that. Yoda's eating her babies? I don't know, but she didn't seem that upset about yeah, it. You know, <laughs> I saw so many so many like comments on Twitter like, Uber review from the frog lady. One star, his weird dog eating my eggs and me crashing the planet. <laughs> I will say my issue with the child this season is not so much that he's acting like a brat as it feels like the writers, directors, the people behind the scenes think this is what we want to see. Like, I feel like there's a lot of gratuitous... Here's the child eating something else, like scenes. <laughs> and I kind of weep for humanity to know that they're probably right, that some people are just like, I just want to see baby Yoda eat some shit he's not supposed to. Wait, am I allowed to curse on this episode? <laughs> Too late. That's like baby Yoda gets a YouTube, baby Yoda's YouTube channel. What will Yoda eat this week? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, it's completely gratuitous. It's annoying. And I'm also a little bit concerned about this child's moral upbringing because as we have seen whether you are good or evil can severely impact how you impact the world especially if you are a powerful force so i'm like is anyone teaching this child morality or are we just gonna let him slide to the dark side by eating people's children it's so funny that you say that because one of my co-hosts in episode two she was reasoning that like maybe baby was just preserving the eggs in his belly for protection (laughs) it's like you can't you can't avoid it he's just eating he's just I had the same question, Mary, because at the beginning of, I guess, the very first episode of this season, when they had to deal with the um, the dragon, you know, at the beginning is when the Mandalorian gets, you know, hijacked by those bandits or whatever out in the desert, um, and that bat, that fight scene ends with the Mandalorian giving that jetpack to one of the bandits and then remotely shooting him up into the air and then letting him drop to the ground and it you know and presumably killing him and at the end of the scene baby yoda turns around and kind of gives the mandalorian a look like you just killed that dude and you know at first i was like yeah i had the same question i was like what kind of morals are we teaching baby yoda it's very interesting because this is obvious if you one of the sources for this is obviously the Lone Wolf and Cub series from Japan. You know the, that series? Please, please just elaborate. Okay, so there's this very famous anime comic in Japan called Lone Wolf and Cub. It's about a samurai 
who was who escaped his execution. He escaped with his um, his son, and they roam the country. And the son has what they call in the comic book the Shishohan, which is the thousand yard stare of death. Hmm. So in that case, they're very much clear about the kid is not learning is learning pretty much is becoming very amoral as he grows up because he's seen so much death and killing. Um, so I'm just wondering if that's the plan they have for this as well. They're going to have they might. Right now, Baby Yoda is kind of like me calling Baby Yoda, the child. Excuse me, the child is kind of almost comic relief in this series, but I'm not sure if they're going to set it up so he's coming more, you know, um, amoral, and that's something they have to get they look at later on in the season or next season. Like hmm. he's becomes more of, um, you know, uh, more of a, a more amoral or chaotic character that's just more concerned with you know getting more eggs rather than trying to do anything good before he gets to. What I assume coming up later in the season is Ahsoka Tano, but we'll see how that turns out. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that you say that because I keep forgetting Yoda's like, or baby, I'm sorry, the child is technically not a child, too, in terms of years. He's actually much older than yeah. we think, but in, in terms of its development, it's very right. much an I mean, baby. I mean, assume Yoda was 900 years old, so it's kind of like 100 baby Yoda years equals 10 years in human years, kind of, if yeah. that's an analogy, you know. Because hmm. I'm just wondering his level of intelligence, because like even today, uh, this episode, uh, he was helping fix the yeah. ship, albeit horribly, <laughs> but um, there there's a level of intelligence here. There's there, So there should be a level of morality, uh, yeah. I guess, in terms of eating all these poor animals. <laughs> but, yeah. And again, I worry about, you know, what exactly is Mando teaching him from don't eat eggs so much? But, you know, I, I'm, you have to wonder, like, what is... What is he learning with Mando? You're right, Mary and Scarra. So what is actually is he going to be taught on this? And but I do take it in stride because I am the parent of an 18 year old, right? And who was who was a very chaotic child. <laughs> <laughs> Please share. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, he'll tell you. I mean, <laughs> and there were times when I thought none of my morality was going to rub off on him. No matter how hard I tried, he was going to make up his own mind about how he was going to do everything. And he was going to do it wrong if he wanted to do it wrong. And he was going to do it his way. And it didn't matter. You know, and now that he's 18, I can see that I'm fairly confident he's going to turn into a very decent human being. Oh, <laughs> so he did something times, right. Let me tell you, there were times when I was like, oh my God, this kid is either going to go to jail or die before he gets to be 18. <laughs> and then, you know, and, and I was a mom who was very concerned about his morality. So maybe there's some room out there for, you know, for this child to explore his, his boundaries or whatever and still come out okay in the end <laughs> i don't know if we're gonna have room to do that on the show though just given the timelines of you know baby yoda's species i mean he's 50 years old and still pre-verbal so i guess if we wanted to watch him grow up and you know develop moralities as a teenager we'd have to watch like the equivalent of like 300 years of mandalorian at which point mandalorian would either be dead or some sort of weird clone well maybe we'll do that if um pablo pascal has to hold out more money he'll we'll, oh, <laughs> just jump ahead 100 years and have baby Yoda be you know 100 years old instead of 50 and he'll still be cute and a new mandalorian will come along instead that way presumably he ends up back with his own kind or with jedi or somebody who's going to take over his training my i mean my presumption is that i could be totally wrong but i think he's gonna end up in a good place with people who are gonna try to mentor him i hope <laughs> i mean we're assuming we're assuming that you know um rosario dawson who's 
Ahsoka. Uh, reported to play Ahsoka will be the one that we eventually get to at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely happening this season. We just don't know when. I was kind of hoping it would be this episode. The, the yeah. problem with like you know this this series is I don't know what's happening next necessarily. No, so I was kind of I was banking on it being this one. I was hoping to talk about it with you guys, but unfortunately, it was not. This was this was a decent one, but it was like more of a yeah. filler. Yeah. This series is very good at filler. Well, and that's the thing. Like last episode, we're setting up to go meet Ahsoka when we meet all the Mandalorians, and that's just my my two favorite moments in the season that happened last episode. Um, one was when they. Have you take your helmet off? I was like, yeah, we're not in that weird cult your family is. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I would love to talk to you guys about that. But go on, sorry. So that was moment. Moment two is that um, I love the show Bosch on Amazon, and Harry Bosch had a cameo as the yeah. captain of the ship, and I just yeah, so I just much. remember him as the man in in black in uh, from Lost. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I loved. Uh, I watched every episode of Bosch. It was great to see Harry Bosch as a hard as nails uh, space captain. So that was just my other favorite moment this season so far. <laughs> I was going to say, before we do jump into the fun part of the podcast, we kind of just go everywhere, uh, which is sort of what we're doing now, but a little bit more focused. Um, before we move on, question, what were your thoughts on Cara Dune and her newly marshaled status and her role overall uh, in this episode? And th- that's kind of my last question for this one, since we've pretty much talked on everything else. I think she's a really interesting figure in that um, she kind of messes up the dichotomy of rebels good, empire bad, or at this point, republic good, empire bad. Because she's kind of chosen neither, and even when the uh, the rebellion's just like, "Hey, we need you back," she's like, "Nah, I'm good." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do like the fact that we're talking that it kind of says that we are the like outer rim, and there's like really kind of the wild space here because we have one essentially one or two X wings rolling around the galaxy in that quadrant, like um, Dad from Kim's Convenience, and yes, thank you for referencing that. Yeah, and um, attack. That's the only cops we're seeing out here. These two cops in this quarter of the galaxy. So it's like, yeah, they're not going to have that much impact what's going on on uh, Reef Cargo's planet there. So, yeah, it makes more sense to have local marshals like her and like um, um, Timothy Oliphant being in control amazing. of certain sectors of what they're controlling. Because otherwise, you aren't. You can call for the, the space cops to come in. They're not going to get there for God knows how long. And by that time, the rebels have come and stolen all your stuff. So yeah, you, I I like the fact that we have marshals. I like the fact that that's kind of in place, and you, I like the feeling that outside of Coruscant, you're kind of on your own for a lot of this with the galaxy, with the mm-hmm. New Republic, and that kind of sets up how the New Order can kind of take over without you know take over things in the in the next uh, sequel films because you know they can start with outlying worlds and kind of accumulate power without. We need too much resistance. So it's really good world building continuity. And keeps yeah, it I don't know if that's even consideration, but it just seems like it explains a lot of like how we could rebuild the empire so quickly. You know, we just take over the worlds where the new republic doesn't ever go, and you know, we go from there. Hmm. Yeah, I mentioned to my kid when we were watching earlier this week, earlier episodes. Um, I said, I said the same thing, Victor, that you basically did. I said this is interesting because when we didn't ever get to see the aftermath of what happened between the end of Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. What was the Republic doing during that time? You know, we didn't get to see much of them being law enforcement. No. <laughs> and so when you know I... when that little interaction that that they had with Mandalorian, when I guess in the second episode, was just a really interesting world building moment for me to yeah just to see the new republic out there doing doing their thing you know trying to be the authority in the galaxy and that was that was really interesting 
Yeah, and they're not the heroes in that context. They actually mess up the Mandalorian's plans and kind of become <laughs> the villains of that episode. Which is a very unique take because we've uh, the series is very black and white, so it's it's cool to see that layer of context uh, of the layering. Yeah. I really did like that in the first episode where, hey, let's watch Death Star, Death Star blow up, hooray! And then two minutes later, here come the bandits, yay! <laughs> yeah. It's like literally a minute later, here comes the bandits, bang bang bang. It's like, oh, it's crap. That's crazy. Uh, so, um, bringing it back to what we were talking about before, what are your, some of your thoughts on the uh, Mandalorians themselves, particularly with the last episode before this one? And uh, I can't remember her name. Starbuck. Uh, Bo-Katan. Bo- Bo- <laughs> Bo-Katan, Bo- Bo- yes, thank you. I, get, I keep calling her Starbuck. I'm like, oh, it's Starbuck. She, she's, it's the same character. Just just like... Is. Gideon is the same character from all of Giancarlo Esposito's villain roles. I'm yeah. sorry. I just keep thinking of him as Gus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Bo-Katan, I, I'm somebody, uh, just in context, I'm somebody who's actually never seen uh, Clone Wars or Rebels, so like, I I actually have no idea what's going on, no, so please seen... share, with, with, if you can, uh, what what is, what's happening here, with, with, what's built I, I haven't seen many Rebel episodes, I think I've seen clips, because I've seen clips of saying, oh, this is where Darth Maul came back from, that's why you saw him in Solo, because he's still alive, and we saw clips here and here, and like watched some of those clips, but I don't know a lot of that comic book, co- the cartoon continuity. Mm-hmm. So that's all brand new to me. Like I know, oh, I know Ahsoka's a character, and I know Ezra's a character, and that's really all I know about the comic books. And then there's a, apparently some good battles in there that I watched on YouTube, and that's about the extent of it. Well, I was familiar with the character of Sabine just from cosplayers because when you go to Star Wars Celebration, you see like a gazillion little girls dressed <laughs> as Sabine. Apparently, she's a very popular character, and she never right. has her helmet on. And so when they were like, <laughs> "We don't take our helmets off," I'm just like, "So." Are just all the Mandalorians we've met before not real Mandalorians? Because I know they established that Boba Fett and Jango Fett are not supposed to be real Mandalorians. They just stole the armor. It's like, I thought Sabine was, and she's never, like, these cosplayers never wear their helmets unless they feel like it because it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> no, and like I said, that was, like, a great moment in that episode where after the after they fight, they three of them take the helmets off, and, and uh, the Mando's like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, yeah, we're just taking our helmets off like regular people do. We aren't these crazy cult. Not this crazy weird sect to Children of the Night that you're in. It's like what? And I hope they get back to that a little more later on. And like, which if there's some kind of like factions of Mandalorians, because I'm uh, our Mandalorian Jin doesn't really know a lot about anything before that uh, raid of Mandalore since he was a little kid at that time. So mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to see if there's a wider world of it that he's letting on to that he doesn't really know about. Like similar to if you have these kids escape from, you know polygamist mormon compounds yeah. and like oh we oh there's other things out here this than this wow how about that <laughs> i thought of that too victor i thought that yeah. thing. i wish i had i did, again referencing my kid um he has watched all of the star wars rebel stuff and he knows it inside and out so i would ask <laughs> him questions about <laughs> things like that and i'm like well what does that mean tell us <laughs> What are they talking about? What's going on? So he always explains these things to me, and I only know that the fillers, you know, in contact of what he's told me, but I haven't watched it either, so I don't know as much as he does. But if he was here, he could answer all of your questions. Too bad. Yeah, that's here. one of those things. Like last season, they have the reveal of the Darksaber. I'm like, is that important? And I'd look online, feel going crazy on Twitter, like, Darksabers! Oh my god, the Darksaber! It's like, I'm watching YouTube clips, like, why is. Oh, okay. I kind of get it now. Yeah, Mike yeah. knew all about that. He had to tell me about that. I felt like <laughs> the biggest dummy. I was like, I'm supposed to be the 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 grasshopper has become the master. Now. The, master. <laughs> the young Padawan has ascended yeah, past the master. Yeah. Bridging the old and new generations alike. 
I think one thing the show does really well is throwing in those Easter eggs without completely confusing those of us who have skipped some of the many, many episodes out there. Yeah. Because yeah. at this point, the Star Wars universe has gotten kind of unwieldy. And if you were expected to watch, like, what is it, 11 movies and two shows, each with, like, a hundred episode each or something like no one would watch it so yeah. i think the mandalorian yeah. did a great job of being like here's a little reference if you watch clone wars or rebels you're gonna be like oh my god and if you haven't you're just gonna be like that's cool that and it cool, looks yeah. powerful yeah. <laughs> oh black lightsaber that's cool yeah that's what my reaction to this like oh, no <laughs> see i didn't think it was a lightsaber at first i thought it was just a vibro blade that like glowing and I was like, oh, okay that's an actual lightsaber and it has a history behind the jedis and the uh, the mandalorians so. right it's a very big lore um, one of the big reasons, I think, for Clone Wars being so implemented this season is because Dave Filoni, uh, who works and directs in the series, uh, is kind of the big bridge and, like, mastermind behind a lot of the Star Wars lore. He apparently was a, one of the big uh, which, uh, storyboard artists and directors for Clone Wars, the series itself, and apparently became uh, surprisingly good friends with George Lucas in, like, the early 2000s, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, it's a, what's up? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, it's just a weird story and, and uh, very interesting to see how kind of, like, old-gen and new-gen star wars kind of blend in this into this particular way i know he's been very he, he's like really good at keeping like the lore inspecting it and adding new stuff to it i mean i really like what he does with star wars mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and me said he's been controlling and also a director of uh, La, uh avatar last airbender director and uh, artist and uh, writer on that show as well wow i didn't realize that so you you any kid born in the 2000s you all your memories to david filoni because he did all the stuff you liked <laughs> oh um, so, all right, so we're pretty much reaching the end, I guess, of the podcast. Uh, th- I guess three last things I'm, I'm going to ask you guys. Uh, what are your favorite and least favorite moments of the series thus far? And then we'll just talk final thoughts about this episode. Okay? That's a hard question. It's really hard. I'm like going to the entire I'll, I'll transition it so it seems oh. like it's one seamless. <laughs> oh, okay. I knew exactly what I'd tell. <laughs> I'll say my favorite moment still is from the first reveal of uh, the child is still my favorite moment in this series. because That's such a going into it. I did not know anything about it aside from the Mandalorians in it and having that be the reveal. Just, Oh my God. what is Oh, it's adorable. Oh. And that was just like the whole mind blowing <laughs> cuteness of it all was just amazing. Yeah. And then the second favorite moment so far has been IG 11. I loved IG 11. I'm sorry. We had to sacrifice him last season because he was such a great yeah. <laughs> assassin droid character. Yeah. Again, that was one of the, when I saw the trailer with um, but until I thought IG88 at the time, I was like IG88 and this, oh my god, oh my god, IG88. I was like very excited because I had that action figure and I was like six years or not six, eight years old mm-hmm. and had that figure, so I was thrilled to see the the murder droids coming back. <laughs> so those are my those are my still my favorite moments. Um, it's funny I don't really have a least favorite one at this point. There's nothing in the series that has gone so far gone like eh, didn't like that. There's parts I've been like. Well, this is kind of killing some time, but I haven't anything that I've been like, this made me go, huh, and cross my arms so far. <laughs> so far. Now that I've said that, we'll set up, you know, something in episode five and go like, oh, there we go. Let me call him back and tell him this is the episode that I It's the like. return of Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> that the would actually be interesting. I would actually wielder. like that. He's a Jedi now. He's a trained Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> it would be an interesting twist. I, I still wish the twist actually happened with uh, Darth Jar Jar. I, that would have been amazing. <laughs> and I, I think that would have been the most brilliant twist of all. Because Yoda, you didn't expect, right? Because he's this cute right. little tiny thing. So it would have been great, just Darth Jar Jar. It's like, oh, you didn't see that coming. Lucas was a genius. Now it's just, he was annoying and the reason for children to, a mascot for children to love and buy toys. But, um, and have a horrible, horrible spinning lollipop. All right. 
I, I didn't realize this, but apparently the actor who played him, he put so much of himself in that character, which made him feel so awful afterwards. Well, I mean, yeah, I feel bad for Ahmed Vest, who's a very funny person in other shows, yeah. and he just got stuck with this horrible character that nobody liked. Yeah. Hmm. But, um, yeah, uh, Carissa, Mary, uh, favorite and least favorite moments? If not, it's totally cool, too. Well, I think so far, the first episode is still probably my favorite. Um, for and so for two, two or three reasons. Uh, one is that I'm a humongous Timothy Oliphant fan. Um, I love. I mean, I love a lot of his stuff, but I love Justified. I actually watched the whole thing twice and watched it on my own, and then I went back and made my husband watch it with me again because I knew he'd like it. Um, so, you know, he was basically space Raylan Givens in this movie and it just <laughs> made me so happy to see <laughs> him in that role again. It was such a good, um, role for him and he just, just, that made me happy just because I'm a big fan of that role. Um, I also really liked getting to see the Sand people have a culture Yes, like, yes, yes. That was really interesting because, like, I, you never thought about them. That you know, in the in the original trilogy, they were just a vague threat, basically, in like one episode. You know, in the first movie, um, mm-hmm. briefly, and then you know, in the prequels, they come back and they're just these horrible, um, Tuxen Raiders who steal Anakin's mom, and end up she ends up dying. Yeah. You know, and so they're they're just these pretty much one-dimensional bad guys. They serve their purpose or whatever. But to see them... Yeah, you know, they're basically sand pirates in those movies. Yeah. So any depth beyond that. yeah. Mm-hmm. But to, you know, to spend some time developing them into um, a clan with culture and language and, you know, a willingness to cooperate with other people to achieve a goal and, you know, making this kind of terse agreement that they won't attack the village... Um, as long as the village doesn't attack them and everything gives them so much more dimension. And that was, that was a really cool, unexpected world building moment. I, I really, by the end of it was like, that was really cool that somebody thought that it was worthwhile to bring these characters back out and give them more depth and, and meaning and all that. Wholeheartedly agree. And I love the use of sign language for their culture. It's, it's actually very elaborate in how they constructed it, which is cool. Exactly. Especially because they're, they're, you know, they're the kinds of people who would love to, you know, talk in silence. So it kind of made sense for them to create a very quiet language. But exactly, yeah. Carissa, you stole mine because I was going to say I think that's one of my favorite moments in the whole show, not just this um, this season so far. Was getting to revisit Tatooine and meet the Sand People as people, not like these random monsters that just show up to mess up the Skywalker's plans, and also getting to finally see a crate dragon. Because that's kind of been, like, a weird outlier thing since the very first movie when, you know, Obi-Wan just kind of shows up and makes a noise and the Sand People just go running and you're just kind of like, okay, why did they go running? And if you read the novels, you're like, okay, he imitated a crate Dragon call. What the heck is a crate Dragon? And now you finally get to see, oh, it's really dang scary. If you heard one, you would run. (laughs) And I think that's where the Mandalorian really shines is where it takes something that you're kind of marginally familiar with from the other movies and then just deepens it and does so in a way that if you had never watched another Star Wars movie before you'd be like oh that's really cool and not feel lost but if you have watched other Star Wars you'd be like oh my goodness I feel like I understand these movies that I love a little better now 
I also really enjoyed on Tatooine how the bar where they kick C-3PO and R2-D2 out of now is run by robots. Oh, yeah, that was little, 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 awesome. Little I totally missed that. It was the last season where they first go to Tatooine and they find uh, the gunslinger guy in that one. But yeah, it's like, no droids. Like, oh no, droids running it now because nobody, <laughs> nobody's left. <laughs> I was amazing. excited to see Amy Sedaris come back too. I, oh yeah. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of the... Sedaris family as a whole in general because I love David Sedaris's books and humor and everything. And oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I told Dustin when he was watching with me, I said, they're from Raleigh, which is where I live. And I said, you know, the whole Sedaris family is from around here. So, you know, that's our little claim to fame is, is that accent of hers is, is North Carolina, just like me. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And she's a, she's a hilarious actress. I've always loved her in like everything she's done over the years. Yep. Um, all right, and uh, I guess final question will be uh, final thoughts and opinions about this particular episode and, and where the Mandalorian uh, mid-season has gone so far. Because I was again, I was hoping for a big thing to happen. It didn't, but it was still it was still a great episode. It's just I, I was kind of hoping for more of a, a hook besides the Moff Gideon thing. But uh, it's interesting seeing where that's going. And uh, yeah, I, I'd love to hear what all of your thoughts are. I feel like as a whole, this season has done a better job of staying on target than the last one. The last one, I remember around episode maybe five or six, I think I actually tweeted even, it's time for me to admit that this is not a good show, it just has a great aesthetic. Because it was just starting to feel really meandering. Like, you had this great pilot where you introduce, you know, these imperial bad guys and the kid, and you're like, okay, what's going to happen with that? And the answer is nothing. We're just going to wander around having one-off episodes. And I was like, damn it! And then they finally brought it back at the end of season one. And this season so far, even though there has been a lot of filler, at the very least, you get the sense that there is a purpose. Like, even when Mando's running away from space spiders, at least he was on his way to try to find somebody who could take the kid. Right. <laughs> true. Very true. Um, yeah, and I, I have a similar feeling about that. Yeah, like, and I enjoyed it more last year because I know all the characters. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it does feel like we're finally getting into, like, a more linear if someone disjointed proper progression like we're going like we're going to find this jedi they're going to go find um to get this person to help us then oh then we're going to go find the jedi over here and get that kind of path going and it seems to be like they're at least progressing but at the same time it's an epi- it would feel better if this was like a 16 episode series versus eight because well a more mandalorian is great and then Absolutely. B, we wouldn't mind if we have like you could spend an episode you know going a little one-off side quest and it wouldn't feel like you're detracting from the main narrative thrust of this so i I, it's like i'm glad it's doing its own pace and i know they don't have to worry about you know um uh anything else in that case like ratings or stuff like that because they're a subscription service but i feel like i would enjoy it if they either add an episode or two or just got a little more focused on the plot premise but yeah but overall i've enjoyed every episode so far i can't add anything to that they said what i would say i agree with everything (laughs) <laughs> it feels sometimes like this uh, show doesn't know if it wants to be a miniseries or like a full-blown TV show and so it ends up something in between where you kind of expect it to have more focus like a miniseries but it still has filler yeah, yeah. episodes like a full-blown like 22 episode season right yeah I, I, I'm with you on that I do I am a little concerned though because like the goal is to get Baby Yoda to the Jedi right what happens when, when we actually achieve that objective which seems like it's just around the corner I, I, the I do answer... wonder what they do what they explore after you know I feel like the answer is going to be they're going to drag this dang storyline out as long as humanly possible <laughs> we might get to meet Ahsoka and then Ahsoka is going to be like not me go to that guy and then we're going to spend the next season going to the other guy and no. they're going to drag no. it out until somebody says cancel the show and then they're just going to magically find somebody to take Baby Yoda <laughs> 
Then we'll go to Dagobah and find a Plevel there or something like that. Yeah. It's going to be like, no, I can't do it. Go find Ezra and he'll take it. It's like, what? Uh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm looking for it. If they want to make more Mandalorian, I'll watch it for the next you know, eight seasons. Whatever they want to keep doing it, it's fine with me. And again, you can easily recast him because just put the helmet on somebody else. So, you know, it's <laughs> no big deal. I was going to say, you can't recast Baby Yoda. What are you talking about? It's the real star of the show. <laughs> yeah, his contract's a pain, though. You never know. Mm. His writer is terrible to work with on set, apparently. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he keeps right. eating everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, uh, Mary, Carissa, Victor, for uh, being here on oh, This absolutely. is the Cast. Absolutely. Oh, and and... can I just mention one thing? This yeah, is, go ahead. We have to, can't do this out without acknowledging the 42nd anniversary of the greatest TV special of all time, the Star Wars Christmas <laughs> Holiday Special. Oh, my God. Happy life to everybody. Happy life day. Happy life day. I completely forgot about that. You ready to get your banter rump ready for your uh, festive dinners? No, no. <laughs> I'm just gonna go put on my VR headset and watch a sexy alien dance for me. <laughs> right in front of your grandkids. Just do it right in front of the grandkids. It's not weird at all. Uh, that's a hard one to follow. Uh, okay. okay. Victor, you broke uh, the host. <laughs> I will say also the the uh, Lego's Christmas special, Star Wars Christmas special, was very fun, and they have a couple shoutouts to it during it. Yes, so I still have to check that out. I haven't had time. That I, I always forget the Ewok special too. I always think that's part of the Christmas special. Right? Oh, everyone loves the Ewok. They, everyone has a nice perm on that. They match the Ewok. It's yeah. fantastic. Highly <laughs> uh, TV. Yeah. Um, oh, but the Christmas Lego special has some really nice shoutouts, including appearances by Chewbacca's family. So itchy and lumpy make their Triumphant Lego figure return in this. Oh, so. God. That's awesome. <laughs> there is no VR porn, but you do have itchy and lovely naked appearance. So. Yeah, <laughs> uh, okay, so everyone, where can people find you? Uh, social media handles, plugs, anything you want to, you feel like shouting out, feel free. This is the time. All right. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at VGCatano. Uh, you can find my books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you buy books online. Just search for Victor Catano. And or uh, Tale and Trouble or uh, anything like that, you'll find them anywhere online. Major booksellers will have my books in stock. And come follow me on Twitter. I talk about Star Wars a lot, so it's lots yeah. of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, same for me. You can I like Twitter the best. You can find me on there at Carissa Laurel, K A R I S S A L A U R E L. That's the same name you can find my books and stories under, Amazon, all the other places. Um, I, uh, two book series and a standalone one is YA with kind of historical second world fantasy with steampunk aesthetics. And then a, a urban fantasy series based on Norse mythology that's called the Norse Chronicles. Um, but yeah, Twitter, Twitter's the best. You can find me there. That's where I have the most fun talking to people. And you can find me at my website, maryfan.com. Um, there you can find links to my Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I pretty much hang out on all three all day because uh, most millennials and glued to my phone. Um, <laughs> yeah, on Twitter, I'm at AstralColt. Instagram, also at AstralColt. Um, Facebook, mfanwriter. But again, if you just go to maryfan.com, that's probably the easiest one to remember. I have links to everything there, including all my books. We should You should totally buy. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, and of course, I'm your host, Christian, and you can follow me on theworkprint.com, see my many articles and other things there, um, XN underscore Angelus on Twitter and Instagram, and Christian Angelus Writer on Facebook, that's my author page, I'm still trying to get it going. And uh, yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in for episode four of This is the Cast. I gotta always emphasize the voice. Uh, we have four more to go with different guests uh, for each one, so please tune in and follow along as we talk more about Star Wars and our favorite Mandalorian and his baby. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, take care. Bye. <laughs>